Carol Jurgensen Sheets, known in the recovery circles as Carol the Coach, and author of the bestseller, Help Her Heal, an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal, will be the featured keynote speaker at a very special one-day event specifically designed for women facing the disclosure of their partner's sexual brokenness. The Restoring Hearts Women's Conference, March 25th in Bellevue, Washington. If you're a woman needing to begin your healing journey from the impact of your spouse's unwanted sexual behaviors, or if you need a burst of encouragement to fuel your progress, consider attending Restoring Hearts Women's Conference Saturday, March 25th. There are in-person and live stream remote attendance options. Presented by our friends at Prodigals International, you can find all of the conference and registration information at restoringheartsconference.org. Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. For couples who want to pursue reconciliation and restoration after sexual betrayal, what does the process of recovery look like? Today's guest is Kat Etherington, Director of Recovery at Naked Truth Project. She helps us understand the key principles and practices that allow for the best possible results for couples wanting to heal and grow after betrayal. There is hope for recovery in your marriage. To learn more about Kat and her resources, visit NakedTruthProject.com. For even more resources, visit BeBroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And we would sure love it if you'd rate and review the podcast after listening because this does actually help others find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries and we exist to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now let's dive into today's conversation with Kat. Well, all right, Kat Etherington, how are you today? I'm very well, Jonathan. How are you? Good. We are so excited to have you back on the program. You know, I was checking uh, last time we had you on was back in September of last year. And it's actually for anybody who wants to look it up. It's episode 872. And you and Cindy Bama were on to talk about the journey of healing from betrayal trauma. And so that was a great conversation mm. that was really impactful for uh, a lot of wives that are especially going through that. Um, I wanted to have you back on to specifically talk about the, the couples that are looking to uh, restore or recover after there has been sexual betrayal. And so before we dive into that, can you uh, remind listeners that had heard you before, or maybe let listeners that haven't uh, uh, heard you on the podcast before, just tell us a little bit about who you are and the ministry that you're doing with Naked Truth. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. So um, as you said, my name's Kat Etherington. I'm the recovery director with Naked Truth Project. Um, So Naked Truth Project are a UK-based but internationally operating organization. Um, Our aim is to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of pornography. Um, And the work that we do is really split into those two pieces. We we do work around opening eyes, which is awareness and education. Um, We talk with parents and school children and churches around kind of the issues related to pornography use and problematic sexual behavior. Um, And then the work that I do is over in the sort of free lives section of our work, which is about recovery. Um, And so my team and I um, offer online support for men and women seeking uh, recovery and also wives and partners seeking healing from uh, problematic sexual behavior and betrayal. Um, And we um, also have 
have uh, a team of couples practitioners working with couples who are trying to do that relational recovery piece. Yeah, that is so good. And we're, we're going to point people to those resources uh, after our conversation today. But um, let's talk about this issue of the, the couple that has uh, faced sexual betrayal and then they are looking to want to recover it. I think it's probably important to, to lay the baseline here that we're, we're really talking about couples that they, they both are wanting to have restoration and, and maybe speak a little right. bit to how important that is to the foundation of our conversation maybe moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost sounds obvious, doesn't it? But actually a lot of couples when they present um, have all sorts of reasons for um, wanting you to think that they're really committed to the process of recovery. Um, and actually that sometimes really isn't the case. It's, you know, it seems um, logical that somebody who's just been really caught out in a, in a betrayal behavior um, might present as somebody who is willing to do whatever it takes to recover. And sometimes as you begin that process, it becomes evident that that really isn't the case or maybe the other way around where the partner kind of feels like they're supposed to want to you know put this marriage back together after a betrayal has taken place and um, as you begin to do that work and and I guess because of the nature of the kind of work that needs to be done sometimes that's very difficult um, they can sort of change their mind or lose momentum in that process and so I would say commitment to the process for to whatever degree you can muster is actually a real prerequisite for working together as a couple you can do healing and recovery independently and be committed to that aspect of it but couples work is something else you know and so that commitment is really necessary so once that kind of basic baseline is established that there is there's genuine desire to want restoration even if both partners have no clue what that means or what that looks like but there is a genuine sense of the betraying spouse is saying I'm, I'm all in on my personal recovery the betrayed spouse is saying i'm all in on this healing journey when they when they get to that point where do they start where, what does the couple work look like where does it need to begin and, and what are some of the key things that, that are those initial steps and stages of recovery for the couple yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that question, Jonathan, because I think this idea of early recovery couples work is actually, um, you know, just at the very cutting edge of the resources that are becoming available within the sex addiction and betrayal recovery fields. Um, and I love that, you know, we are among the ministries and the professionals who are really at the, the front edge of what is a developing field. And so, you know, traditional wisdom, and you won't have to look hard to find this in the in the betrayal recovery field is that you can't do couples work at the beginning and that it's contraindicated, it's bad, and you shouldn't do it. Um, in fact, what we're beginning to understand is that there is some type of couples work that can be done um, right at the very beginning of the process. Now, that doesn't look like traditional couples therapy that would start with talking about communication issues and relational dynamics, that it looks a bit different to that. That, um, but it but it can be really really effective in the beginning. So you know, right at the very start, you're you're looking at how do we 
create safety and stability within this relationship. Um, and of course, safety and stability is the first stage of the partner journey in terms of kind of getting her safe and secure within her own emotional reality and understanding the relational reality. So that would be a great place to start for couples is, you know, while he's doing his early recovery work, doing his defining of boundaries, working out what sobriety looks like and developing his relapse plan. I'm wanting to bring her in on that so that she feels like she understands. And, and I'm talking in very, you know, gender normative terms, just because that is sort of the demographic that we work with. It does happen the other way around. We just sadly don't get to meet that many couples that way for, for our work. Um, but typically with a husband with problems sexual behavior and a betrayed wife, I'm wanting to create a flow of information um, really early and really intentionally and trying to help couples create a container for safe communication right at the very beginning. Because you know and I know that the relational dynamics of early discovery, well, let's call it early discovery rather than early recovery, um, are are messy and painful and uh, chaotic and all of those things. And so, you know, there are some things we're trying to do very early on to establish safe ways to bring a couple together that are kind of strategic is the word that I often use. You know, we're trying to do a few specific things that help create safety. Yeah, I had uh, on the podcast recently, I had Dr. Michael Seitzma on. And he was talking about how, you know, in, in the long term, you're looking at having to deal with the healing of like a cancer in this marriage. But at first, you got to deal with the cut that's bleeding out right, right. now. So there's a sense right. in which we've got to deal with the immediate need and then we can get to some of the longer term stuff. As you're, right. as you're saying this, um, I, I wonder how important is it in what we've called here the kind of the early discovery season of of the recovery for the marriage how important is it that this is a facilitated process for a couple like for with a counselor or a coach or somebody that can come alongside them how how much of it is uh them needing to have somebody that can sort of train and guide them in this process versus some things that they may be able to kind of do on their own through let's say a book or something else because it seems to me like what you're talking about here wow, that, that could get pretty complicated pretty quickly. And if, if they and their brokenness and their pain are trying to navigate this on their own, it seems to me like there could be a lot of problematic things that could come from that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly with a good number of the couples that I work with, the probably in the very beginning, the single most important component of couples work is a third person, um, a third person who can hold a safe space, who can meet their storm with my calm, um, who can stay grounded and regulated and help them to do the same. Um, you know, I would say in, in in the very beginning, that is probably the, the key ingredient of early couples work. And actually, what you're helping them do is break out of these trauma cycles of reliving hurt and pain all over. And right from the very beginning, having a 
different experience of that, recognizing that they can go to those places of hurt and pain without causing more hurt and pain. Um, because that's what couples are doing in the beginning. They're reeling in these cycles of um, trying to communicate in the best way that they know how from within their own pain or within their shame and, and making it worse for each other. And so really, I would say um, in the very beginning, it's probably the most important thing that they've got somebody really safe who can hold that space and say, okay, is this how we want to do this? Or should we try something that feels different to this? Because mm -hmm. they can do that without you, right? Like you said, so I won't let couples pay me to do what they can do in their kitchen without my help. Yeah. So once there has been maybe that environment of safety beginning to be established, what are some of the essentials then that really do need to be focused on and worked on in the restoration of this marriage that has been broken by betrayal? Yeah, I think that's the most important question for betrayal recovery is that typically and historically couples work has gone too quickly to looking forward, building the new. And that does need to happen. It absolutely does need to happen. But if we do that too soon, if we don't do enough looking back, which is the stuff that people don't like and don't want to do, which is probably why we find it easier to try to skip that piece. But my experience is if you don't give couples space to process the past to come together on an, a shared understanding of that which includes communicating about how that was for each of them um, then they really can't move into that space of building something new they might try but they're going to keep falling down they're going to keep tripping each other up and typically that's because they just haven't spent enough time in this in this kind of space of processing what is happening in their marriage right now um, and you know I, I take a lot of what I know about couples work from the trainings I've done with people like Dr. Jake Porter and he really emphasizes um, the couple's grieving process and as I've gone on to do more work with couples I can see why he spends a lot of time talking about that because that's the piece that that I mean grief is the piece that most people don't want to do in their own individual journey because it's hard work and it doesn't feel good and so to put a couple together and try to walk them through that process of grieving and telling of their story with and to each other um, is pretty pretty tricky and it takes a high level of um, ability to hold space for one another which means it can take a little bit of time right to sort of build those skills and um, and all of that so yeah I would say you know the the bit in the middle is not just about grief it's also about sort of other relational dynamics but there's a lot of um kind of making sure that we i mean using your wound analogy it's like okay we stopped the bleeding so the sort of second stage is we, we're cleaning it out we're getting rid of the infected pieces and before we go ahead and sew it up and think about whether there's going to be a scar we first need to make sure we're not going to sew in any infections we need to get all of that out yeah, so um, as couples are kind of navigating this and pulling this out, how how important is it to um, to expose and deal with issues of fear and anxiety? Because every couple that I've ever worked with, both spouses are afraid 
they've got different, yeah. they might have some different fears, but I've seen that there can be also a lot of fears that are similar. What does it look like for a couple to begin to learn how to talk and express those fears in a healthy way so that there can be restoration? Yeah. I mean, that's that's that safety piece, right? That's the, the third person in the room to say, huh, what's going on here? Um, as you begin to watch a couple fall into an old pattern. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite tools for intervention is just to notice. I'm like, huh, look, something's happening between you. What is that? And to uh, create a, an environment where you can say, I feel really afraid that what I need to say is going to going to you know drive you away from me, or I feel afraid that what I need to say is going to be judged by you, or rejected, or dismissed, or whatever that is. Um, and actually, that's the transformative piece of couples' work, in my experience, is when um, couples who are committed to seeking to care about each other's reality, care about each other's emotional experience, um, often in speaking out that fear have that that moment of realizing either that that fear is unfounded or that that fear can uh, that the vulnerability of expressing that fear can create a moment of connection can create a moment of empathy or compassion um, and couples every day of my working life just kind of surprise me and surprise themselves with what they are actually capable of I think if you have been through the type of stuff that a lot of the couples that we work with have been through and you're willing to go to couples work it really says something about your value of the marriage your commitment all of those things and and so they really are capable of much much more of those things than they believe and it's in those moments that the healing happens yeah let's talk about uh, expectations um uh, i think you know every couple before they even got married had expectations about even what marriage mm. would be. Right. So, and, and probably didn't line up on, on what those were. Um, can you talk a little bit about how couples can talk about their differing expectations of what recovery and restoration should look like? And then maybe in general terms, what is kind of the goal of this process? Like, what are we yeah. hoping for in terms of an outcome? Yeah, I think expectations is a really tricky one, isn't it? Because um, even when you start thinking about, well, what are my expectations? There's a whole lot of stuff under an, a concept or an idea like expectations that actually drives that. So when you start talking about expectations, you're really talking about things like fear. You're really talking about things like safety. Um, you're really talking about what are the sort of bare essentials that can, can mean that I can hang on. Um, but of course, the other thing that couples always want to know is what does recovery look like? What should I be looking for in my partner? Um, and, you know, we have slides on our webinars that sort of show uh, things that can happen along the way in recovery and people put together roadmaps and all of that stuff. But um, couples couples work particularly is a, such an individualized uh, process because not only do you have these two individual people doing usually their own individual work and, and maybe doing different pieces at different times. But then you also have this, this other entity, which is the relationship, um, which is kind of its own thing altogether. Um, so often one of the, the early pieces of work that I do with my couples is to kind of map their typical relationship dynamic. 
when you get into a fight what does that typically look like um body language facial expressions um in tone internality in the voice what would you see in one another because what i'm trying to um, help them to recognize is what's their default track when things are going out of uh, you know kind of off track um and so you know i guess when you when you apply when you're thinking about expectations i think what i i want my couples to understand is first of all it's a long term it's a long term gig um especially because there are there's all that history of relational dynamics there's a history of betrayal but there's also usually a history of marriage um and all married couples have this well worn track that they are used to kind of occupying and so they do a lot of filling in the blanks no thinking that they know what's coming next and so all that to say there are expectations and to whatever degree i can i try to help my clients kind of shelf their expectations which are usually future focused right they're, they're forecasting an outcome and stay in the present because the moments of healing and the moments of connection are now they're not in some future point right and so to speak to your question of what's the what's the real aim of couples work the real aim is to create safe moments of connectedness um, where they can feel what it is to know and be known in a, a way that feels safe and vulnerable and accepting. So let's talk about that for a second, because I hear in what you're saying in terms of that idea of creating that safety of being known and, and knowing is that seems to require a, a high degree of, of empathy and understanding in the relationship. And when you come out of sexual betrayal, there obviously has been there has been a lack of empathy and understanding because there have been deception and secrets and there's right. been hiding and there's been all, all the issues that come with the dividedness that comes with a betrayal like that. What are some uh, what are some exercises that couples can do to kind of grow in their empathy and understanding for the other person's journey? I'm I'm thinking of it from the betrayer standpoint where that's a person that's been highly self-centered they were thinking about their own desires they were they did not have regard for their spouse when they committed their acts of betrayal mm. what are some exercises that that in our case that husband can do to try to actually learn empathy to gain understanding of his wife and and vice versa how can she learn to gain understanding of her husband yeah, thank you for asking that because that allows me to offer your listeners some reassurance. I'm going to be really honest and say I'm for sure working the person who did the betraying way harder in the beginning than I'm working the partner um, because she is usually looking to see is he going to be in this with me? Is he going to um, make some changes? Is he going to put himself out for me? Is he going to put himself on the line for me? me and that's about the recalibration of power in the relationship where you've had power because you've had secrets that have held me back from knowing what's true and what's not true and I haven't been able to make empowered decisions for myself and that has to be balanced right and so I want to just for those those partners listening who are going don't ask me to empathize with him in week one I get it um, and um, you know we're certainly looking for a demonstration of commitment and willingness. 
Here's the thing, though. It does require empathy from the partner. It really, you know, ultimately, if you if you're going to stay in a relationship that with somebody who has hurt you, you're going to have to be willing to try to understand that and and to be able to understand that in a way that makes sense to you. Because if you can't understand that, you won't feel safe, right? So one of the biggest questions that partners are asking is, how could he? How could he do this to me? Why would he? do this to me and in early in the early stages of betrayal trauma we make meaning from that that is usually about ourselves right and and I'm you know I'm speaking from personal experience as a betrayed partner myself so we will initially assume i wasn't enough um, and actually that process of um, building compassion with the betrayer is also a process of re-understanding the narrative yourself because if you if you pay attention and you can and you can create space for that you'll begin to learn this is really about his childhood this is really about his own traumas this is really about his shame his lack of self-compassion it's really about all this other stuff and mm-hmm. that's healing when you begin to realize oh it's really about him and it's not really about me um so yes we, there are sort of high levels of empathy that are required and in terms of how to do that that probably the most important exercise for couples is to and it sounds so basic because it is, is to learn to listen. And when, when, I, when I sort of say that, what I say to my couples is we're, we're not just learning to hear, which is about I can hear that there's noise there. We're learning to listen first to what is actually being said. Um, and so I do a lot of speaker listener kind of reflective listening exercises with my couples. And it blows my mind how many times a person says a combination of words and the person doing the reflective listening says some similar but different combination of words in response that includes a little bit of their own interpretation, a little bit of their own expectation. Um, and so like at a very foundational level, because of the way that our brain is desired to fill in the gaps and shortcut the process, Um, And I literally hear couples say, like, I know where this is going. And they have finished a conversation in their head before the person speaking has finished their sentence. And so the very first thing that I'm trying to do with my couples is, okay, let's just slow down and really listen to what is being being said. And then once we've got some of that, I'm into like, okay, so now we're going to try to listen to what's not being said. What's the meaning of that? And if you don't know, let's ask the question. So you're sort of really, you used a, a term earlier that sort of alluded to this kind of guiding them through the process. Um, I heard somebody once describe um, a, being a couples uh, professional as being like a process consultant. And I tell my clients that all the time. It's like, my job is to keep you in a safe track. So I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm like the flippers on the pinball machine. I'm just trying to keep it in play and I'm trying to keep it in a safe track and, and really help you to do do it differently than how you would normally do it. Yeah. And I think it's important to note this idea of empathy is is not ever making excuses for somebody's sin or anything like that. Right. But it is so powerful for being able to understand perspective, to be able to understand another person's brokenness or their journey, even though we can't we can never do that perfectly. Right. Kat, I could never right. walk in your shoes. I can't do I can't be you. But there is a sense in which. Uh, our connection as humans, there is a way for us to be able to understand one another more deeply through 
what you mentioned is like these active listening exercises. But let me ask you yeah. this, as, we, as we've got a few more minutes left, what are some of the most common obstacles that you see to this process for couples? You know, mm -hmm. what are some of the, the roadblocks that, that couples get snagged on as they are trying to recover and restore their relationship? There's one that exceeds all others for me, which is emotional regulation. Um, the, the biggest disruptor of couples work, in my experience, is emotional regulation challenges. Couples who fall back into that familiar pattern and they, they are so used to walking that path that they just slide right through. Um, and, you know, it's, it can sometimes be really hard to sort of jump in and try to get them back on track or, you know, they're so invested in their perspective, in their point of view that, um, you know, and sometimes you just have to let it run. I'm like, okay, get say it, say all the things and then we'll try something else because, um, and I get that, you know, especially with betrayed partners often they have been so consistently unseen and unheard that when you give them the floor that's their moment and they're going to take it um, and so I'm much more inclined to let a betrayed partner have her say um, however that comes out and then sort of re reverse engineer it from there um, but what we don't want um, and what I'm really really trying to work against with my couples all the time is for couples work to feel terrible um, mm. because if you bring a couple in and they recreate those fights that they're having at their kitchen table or at 11 o'clock at night in their bedroom if they're just recreating that in the in the therapy room or in the coaching space um, then then actually you are creating a traumatic experience of couples work and the one thing that will prevent couples coming back in for couples work is if they're getting traumatized doing it um, so I would say emotional regulation regulation is by far um, the biggest challenge. And actually, I do a lot of that work with couples too, where I'm just going, okay, I see it. Let's practice what, what it looks like to calm down when things get off track. Um, so I would say that's a big one. And that sort of investment in their own perspective. Um, just kind of lack of emotional understanding can be difficult too. you know, a partner's, particularly a partner's experience can be so multifaceted and multi-layered. It can be hard for her to even articulate everything that she's thinking and feeling all at once. And so I always think, gosh, if it's hard for her to even make sense of it and then try to communicate that, how much harder is it for someone who hasn't experienced that to try to keep up with that and try to really take that in while at the same time, Kind of managing their own emotional response to it so there's a complexity to the dynamics there as well which can make it really tricky yeah one of the things that we talk about with the men all the time is uh, we've spent probably about 90 percent of our time uh, helping men get on what we call an emotional growth mission like right. they've got to mature emotionally there's emotional growth that has to take place so I, I appreciate you sharing that one last thing i want to share before or ask you about before we um have you share some of your resources that you all have. How can couples respond when there has been a relapse or maybe there's some triggering event that has occurred in the relationship that makes them feel as if, oh my goodness, we've taken 10 steps backwards. How can couples manage some of that part of the messiness of this is not a perfect journey? Yeah, I love that you asked that question because that is something that I will say 
to every couple like you know you will have and I describe couples work as being like the little girl who had a little curl in the middle of her forehead because when it's good it was it's so so good but when it's bad it can be really horrid um, for everyone you know and so you know there are times when I've worked with a couple and I've thought oh gosh that session just made everything worse and so I know like if I feel that as the practitioner I know that couples feel that um and I try to just be honest about that from the very beginning. I'm like, you know, we'll have some magic moments is what I call them. We'll have some magic moments along the way where you will feel something that you've never felt before. And we will have some muddy moments along the way where you'll feel like you've fallen in a puddle and everything is as wet as it was at the beginning. And so um, I think just being really honest about that, letting them know to expect that. But also um, I actually use a tool um, that folks can look up online called the Pyramid of competency it's like a learning theory and it talks about the stages of learning that people go through before they reach this kind of unconscious competence which is I just do what I do Um, and before you get there you go through stages of unconscious incompetence where I don't know that I don't know and then conscious incompetence where I know that I'm learning and I'm really trying hard and then conscious competence which is I'm you know I'm super trying to something different and most people sit along that line of knowing they don't know and trying to know um and kind of i I find that 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 tool um helps couples to understand this process of you don't go from not knowing that you don't know how to do something to doing it 100% of the time overnight. What we're looking for is, are we trying? Are we, you know, and I, I think that one of the biggest things for couples is, is the, the do over, like, oh, that wasn't what I wanted it to be after the fact can we try again um and i know for sure that most of the couples that i work with the person who maybe didn't get what they needed in a difficult conversation usually really appreciates the awareness or that didn't feel good i wasn't able to show up the way that i wanted to there and they appreciate the humility and the vulnerability of the other person coming back and saying can i try again Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also important to reiterate that the the principles of recovery and restoration don't change just because there's been a, a, a slip up or a, some kind of trigger or whatever. And so I think that's really important. The process remains the same. You just got to re-engage it, right? So, um, Kat, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Couples are looking for something different when things get hard, Jonathan. Um, sorry, I was just saying couples are, you know, they do come in and they're like, oh, can we get that other thing that that you could teach us to do? And I always tell them, the stuff that I'm teaching you to do is the stuff that you do, no matter what. Like, and, and it's just about practicing. I think, you know, when something does go wrong, couples are like, please give us that magic tool. It's like, yeah, sorry, but it's about practice. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like yeah, many times we're asking, I think we even ask this of God, like, what else can we be doing? Because, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not very good at what you're asking me to do. And it sounds like hard. It's really self-sacrificial and all. What else do you have for me? Right. <laughs> so exactly you know, what's, that, the, what's yeah. the magic pill that you can give me that'll make everything better? Um, so this has been phenomenal. And uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and get some resources that can be helpful to them on this journey? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. All of our um, recovery programs, as well as the other education and awareness work that we do is at nakedtruthproject.com. You want the little drop down menu that says get help if you're interested in any of our programs. That's awesome. 
Well, Kat, thanks again for uh, doing what you're doing and for being part of the conversation today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jonathan. Just before we go, I wanted to um, make your listeners aware of um, some resources that we've just released um, that are international in their focus. So one of the ways that we've tried to support people around the world is trying to bring resources where there are less. Um, and so we've been running some retreats in various places. And I'm really excited that this year in July, we'll be running a retreat in Australia, um, which is the first time that we've ever done that. It's a, a grief-related retreat for betrayed partners. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that um, since you have, uh, I think, a broad listenership, I wanted to make sure that the Aussies got to hear about some of the Australian resources. Um, so I will send uh, Jonathan some of the links to access some of our retreats that are happening around the world this year. Um, but in particular, I wanted to mention the Australia one. Yeah. Absolutely, we'll be happy to share that in our in our uh, show notes. We, uh, we've been starting to do more international things, some of which is actually in Australia. So we'll have to talk offline about yeah. that, but uh, we're excited about that. And listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. Our, our hope is to help you take your next best step on your journey. Whatever that is and with whomever that needs to be, we wanna help you take that step. So please reach out to us and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.